short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Everybody, uh, to the Cold War episode seven. Welcome Woo! back, my little Oompa Loompa friend. Aww. How are you? Uh, I am literally doing fine. <laughs> no, remember, no. you can't say literally no. anymore. Okay, Chris Silaf. Okay. Chris. <laughs> Chris gets upset. Oh my god, sorry. I, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing fair. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by money. Yay, I love money. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about economics and uh, ideological differences between right. the parties. We talked a little bit about it in the last episode, about them trying to shut down freedom of speech, right. uh, rounding up leftists and radicals in the United States. Um <clears throat> But you know, here's the question. Uh, well, no, let me let me get back. Let me quote our old friend uh, Winston Churchill Winston. in the House of Commons on the 29th of May, 1919. He said, "Bolshevism is not a policy; it is a disease. It is not a creed; it is a pestilence." Um, in a 1921 public debate with H. G. Wells which I read last night, and it was fabulous. He called the Bolsheviks a world cancer. Ouch. Now, you've got to remember, this is 1919, 1921. This is well before, you know, the excesses of Stalinism and the purges and the, the, right. the gulags and well before they had been, you know, the USSR had even been created. I mean... So the question is, why the hate, Winnie? Yeah, that is uh, that's weird. Yeah, especially when he when he uh, jumps aisles and goes from the conservatives, he is going to introduce uh, uh, legislation that is going to be considered very liberal by today's standards, as far as taking care of people that are out of work and things like that. So again, it has to do with context. It's okay if you do something, but if the other side does it uh, because they're not you, they're evil or whatever, but just an absolute uh, mistrust of communism and anyone of that ilk. Well, I think, uh, yeah, but what's what's underneath, what's behind that mistrust, this hatred, not just mistrust, hatred. It's not a policy, it's a disease, it's a pestilence, it's a cancer. He's saying, you know, why was... Churchill so antagonistic towards Bolshevism as far back as 1919, 1920. This is is what we want to explore in this episode. Don't just try and, you know, answer and make shit up, Ray. Just we we get to explore it. It was rhetorical, that question, Ray. 
Well, well, uh, it's because he literally... Uh... <laughs> he literally kissed my ass. <clears throat> Look, I, you know, we, I don't want to spend... No, no, you yes, you were. I didn't hear that at all. Um, you know, it'd be easy to take 10, 20 episodes and talk about socialism versus capitalism, and we don't want to do that because we want to get into the yeah, cold the guts. War. Yeah. But I, I but I <laughs> get up in them guts. But I want to, <laughs> I think we do need to, you know, talk about it a little bit, maybe an episode or so. So that's what this yeah. is going to be. Um, you know, I want to I want to talk about things like McCarthyism in mm-hmm. the U.S. Now, McCarthyism, for those too young to remember, was the name of the second Red Scare in the United States. In the last episode, we talked about the first Red Scare, 1919-1920. The second Red Scare lasted roughly from 1950 to 1956. It was wide-scale political repression against communists and suspected. Communists, huge amount of fear mongering yeah. about the about communist influence on American institutions and of espionage by Soviet agents. Yeah, lives were ruined and careers were ruined just because of rumors. Absolutely no proof whatsoever, but the atmosphere at the time was such that it didn't matter. Someone just had to accuse you, and suddenly you were um, blackballed or blacklisted from so many different places that you needed. So, yeah. I just again, it was just one of those episodes in America where fear dominates and we're not at our best. <laughs> as long as you went blue ball, that's okay. That's, yeah. that's right. Not yeah. red ball. <laughs> um, you know, when I first started getting interested in reading about history when I was in I don't know, my early 20s, I, I used to struggle with trying to understand this. This, this fear of communism in the United States in the 50s what mm-hmm. what was really driving it you know f- at the time i thought well hold on america believes in freedom of speech so what does it matter if people are talking about communism and socialism and even if people on mass in the united states decided that they wanted to vote for a socialist party or a communist party isn't right. freedom to vote for the leaders that you want what makes america tick isn't that the whole purpose of America, if everyone decided, you know what, actually we do want Bernie Sanders to be president, right. or we do want a socialist or a communist government, isn't it the American way to go, okay, well, the people have spoken, they have chosen what they want, so great, let's go do it. What was, you know, it took me a long time to figure out what was driving the fear-mongering. Mm. I was just going to respond, that was probably rhetorical, but I was just going to respond, it's like, yes, you have the right to say and vote any way you want, as long as you don't say the wrong things and as long as you don't vote the wrong way. Because if we all voted for socialist, even though I have the right to vote for whoever I want and it's a private vote, it's still seen as an un-American act, whatever the hell that means. Because it's deviating from what we know, what we have established is the best possible government, which is ours. <laughs> well, I think there's more to it than that. Yep. Let's drill down into it. Um, now, in terms of McCarthyism, I want to drill down into that a little bit too. Um, the term McCarthyism uh, comes from the anti-communist pursuits of the Republican U.S. Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin. Um, now, he ran successfully for the U.S. Senate in 1946, 
defeating Robert M. LaFollette Jr., who later committed suicide when it looked like he might get caught up in the McCarthy witch hunt. Now, LaFollette's distant cousin, Doug LaFollette, is the current Secretary of State of Wisconsin and a personal friend of mine. Nice. Uh, I did several political podcasts with him and J. David Markham a few years ago. He's actually a very old friend of Markham's, and Markham organized for us to do some shows. Anyway, I reached out to Doug LaFollette, Secretary of State of Wisconsin. He's coming onto this show uh, in a few weeks to talk about McCarthy and McCarthyism, his family, obviously. Very, very, uh, not in a good way, close relationship with McCarthy, and he's, you know... (laughs) McCarthy was from Wisconsin. So that's exciting. We're going to have the Secretary of State of Wisconsin on this show uh, in the next few weeks to talk about uh, McCarthyism. So anyway, McCarthyism, the the term these days is is used more generally to describe reckless, unsubstantiated accusations or demagogic attacks on the character or patriotism of political adversaries. But it comes from... Joseph McCarthy uh, in the fifties. Uh, um, I looked up some video. There's video of you of McCarthy on YouTube. If you want to go watch that, he's a slimy looking yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. Um, particularly, there's this great footage of Edward R. Morrow, Morrow, uh, mm-hmm. taking him down in the late fifties. Uh, people who don't know who Edward R. Morrow was, there's a great film that uh, George Clooney made. Yeah, uh, I like that. 10 years ago, good night mm-hmm. and good luck about Morrow versus McCarthy. Morrow was basically, uh, what would, you know, who's, who's the most esteemed uh, television news anchor personality left? Oh, Do you have anyone that, left? That's easy. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine that you did have somebody who was greatly respected as a television right. news authority anchor. Mm-hmm. That was Morrow in the 50s. And, right. uh, he basically took down McCarthy, uh, criticised the fuck out of him, and McCarthy night tried to respond. Night, yeah. yeah, McCarthy tried to respond and made a fuck of it and <laughs> never really recovered. But the whole thing is available on YouTube to watch. It's this massive compilation of it. I, I highly recommend it. Murrow was uh, a complete badass, man. And wasn't he smoking a cigarette the whole time? Yeah. Just, yeah. just a badass. Sort of hunched over, looking up right. at the camera, smoking a cigarette like, on November 22nd, McCarthy, let's roll the tape. And, yep. you know, fucking just great stuff. Took him apart using his own words. Something, you know, that John Stewart used to do on The Daily Show, yes. uh, play back things that people had said and then tear it apart. Um, Murrow was doing that in the 50s. Anywho, during the McCarthy era, like thousands of Americans were accused of being communists or communist sympathizers. As you say, a lot of them lost their jobs, their careers were destroyed, they were questioned before government or private industry panels. Mm-hmm. There were like government employees, those in the entertainment industry, education, union activists were dragged in front of these panels. It was uh, pretty oppressive uh, and yeah. appalling, appalling stuff. And not based on facts in most cases. Yeah. Um, other people you may or may not have heard of that were involved in this, uh, McCarthy's chief counsel was Roy Cohn, mm. uh, the infamous New York attorney who died of AIDS in 1986. If anyone has seen Angels in America, 
Right. Uh, it was a mini series made about him dying of AIDS and the rise of the AIDS epidemic. Ap- epidemic. He was uh, Roy Cohn was played by Al Pacino, one of the best things Pacino has done in the last twenty years. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Roy Cohn was a nasty piece of shit. Also, Donald Trump's attorney for for a while. Yay! Unsurprisingly, um, McCarthy ran a perm- uh, the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. That you know did a lot of um, communist uh, hearings. He's also often associated with something called the House Un-American Activities Committee (HUAC), even though he had nothing to do with it directly. That was run by a Democrat from Texas, Martin Diaz Jr. But uh, HUAC was also greatly involved in the Hollywood blacklist that you briefly mentioned before, where they dragged mm-hmm. Hollywood writers, directors, and actors in front of them and said. Are you or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Mm-hmm. And they would say no, and they go, liar, yeah. liar, burn the witch. The answer doesn't matter. The fact that you've been asked a question was normally enough to make everybody stay away from you, and that's the end of your career. And uh, also, the FBI, as it was, uh, as it had become last time we mentioned the the start of the career of J. Edgar Hoover during the Palmer raids in nineteen nine nineteen twenty. By the fifties, he was obviously running the FBI, massively powerful organization and individual. Hoover was untouchable yes. in the United States because he had dirt on everyone. <laughs> because they had dirt to have had, yeah. So yeah. no one's president perfect. after president after president would call Hoover into the Oval Office to fire him and Hoover would walk out with a smile on his face. He'd say, absolutely, Mr. President, you can fire me. But before you do that, let me show you this manila folder. <laughs> these videos, these do- I mean, these photos, these uh, documents, just take a gander. Yeah. Like uh, with the Kennedys, he had evidence on JFK's philandering, also mm-hmm. their father's philandering. Yeah. Their father had a mistress that he kept in an apartment, and he was like, sure, you can get rid of me, but then all of this is <laughs> going to go public. He had dirt on every president uh, from you know, 1919, 1920 onwards, and you had to fucking use it. And had dirt on everybody. He yeah. was the NSA of his time. And this is one of the things when... You know, when people say, well, I don't care about the NSA recording everyone's telephone conversations or reading their emails because I've got nothing to hide. It's not about yeah. you. Right. It's about their ability to blackmail everyone who does have dirt on them, whether it's they had business leaders, political leaders, judges, senators, people, congressmen yeah. and women, <clears throat> presidents, you name it, uh, political matter. advisors, yeah. lawyers. Yeah. Anyone who matters, they have dirt on them and they can use it. And certainly that's what Hoover did. I mean, no questions asked. Again, read Tim Weiner's book on the FBI if you don't believe me. It's all backed up by, you know, loads yeah. and loads, reams and reams of evidence, stuff released under FOIA Acts, uh, FBI's own archives, etc., etc. Hoover used the equivalent of what the NSA is doing to blackmail anyone and everyone and, and have people killed too. Um, So, but the question here, Ray, is why were all of these guys so worried about communist ideas being made available (laughs) to Mm -hmm. the US public in films or newspapers? As you Uh, said, I think, uh, if if you're confident that your ideas are the best ideas, 
then surely you say, hey, listen to their ideas, listen to our ideas, decide what makes the best sense for yourself and then vote, you know, based yeah. on how your conscience vote in the guides box, you. Yeah. But if I'm the guy in charge, I don't even want you to have that option. I like things the way, ah. just the way it is. Uh, I want everything to stay the same. But again, it always comes down to money, power, and influence. It's the haves and the have-nots. And if communism starts to sound pretty, pretty, darn good to those who don't have, you know, then the guys who are in charge might have a full-blown catastrophe on their hands if everybody starts thinking for themselves, starts asking questions and saying, hey, isn't there a better way to do things that's more fair? And I'm not saying I'm a communist. I'm not saying I agree with that. But the point is, is are you or have you have you ever been, Ray Harris, (laughs) an associate of Cameron Riley's? Oh, I think associates, that's a strong word. I wouldn't use that word. It's a, it's, um, it's a little strong. Um, I know him. I've, I've done things with him in Vegas. He's done things to me. It was, but that's probably not what you're asking. Anyway, yeah, so no. So for these, for the, for these guys who are in charge, they've got to be worried. They want everything to stay the way it is, and it all comes down to money, power, and influence. And they don't want these people um, thinking that there might be something better that these rich guys cannot get anything out of it. Uh, I know that sounds fucked up, but that is the way the world works. Always has. Oh, I got stuck. Hold on. I'm going to explain that one to Heather. Getting back to this idea um, of telling people not to listen or investigate certain ideas. When, whenever you're in a situation where pe- people start to tell you to avoid reading certain books or listening <laughs> to certain speakers, yeah. you're you're in a fundamentalist religion. It's it's like being a Mormon. You know, mm-hmm. Mormon the, the the prophet and the Mormon establishment leaders tell their tell their congregations not to read anything about the Mormon religion on the internet, not to read unsanctioned <laughs> books about the church or Joseph Jeez. Smith because they're the work of Satan. They've been influenced by Satan. So, you know, it's one of these things whenever you see people in, in politics or in the media, not it doesn't even have to be outright saying don't read it. When they start to lampoon it and right. make fun of it uh, in an extreme way to make you feel guilty if you read it. They do this a lot with Chomsky these days. There's so much negative stuff in the media about Chomsky's books it's designed to try and prevent people from even picking one up and reading it. They don't say, when you read a critique, a critique of Chomsky, they don't say, well, listen, you know, he's obviously very intelligent, very respected intellectual. He's, been, he's written over 100 books. He's been a political activist for 70 years. He's admired around the world. Um, you know, go out and read a couple of his books, and here's what we think. It was some of his factual errors or his errors in his right. analysis. An they don't do view. right. Yeah, they don't do that. They just go. They go after him and make fun of him and make fun of anyone who reads him. Whenever you see that, go and read the books straight away. This is my advice. When, and it's the same with Iron Rand. Quite on to take the complete opposite perspective uh, right. or, or side of the ledger. When mm-hmm. you read so much hatred about Iron Rand's books, The Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. Go and read them because they're great books. I've read them many, many times. I don't agree with a lot of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, but she was brilliant. Go and read her books. There's some great stuff in there. There are really fascinating novels and stories, and the philosophy is interesting. Don't shut yourself off from any ideology or ideas. Go out and read it all and make 
up your own mind. This is my this is my uh, uh, take on it anyway. Go and read everything you can read from left and right and center and up and down, and then figure out for yourself what makes sense. Which is what the rich guys do not want you to do because they Absolutely. want to have it all worked out for you. Yeah, so and I, I agree with what you said before. So it's important to understand that socialism then as now is perceived as a major threat to capitalism. And it's evil, yeah. It's an ideological difference. <clears throat> capitalism versus socialism. Now, note, I'm not saying democracy mm-hmm. versus socialism. I think a lot of people still seem to think that socialism equals dictatorship because that's what happened in the USSR, that's what happened in China, that's what happened in Cuba. But that's not the case. Uh, Socialism doesn't inherently require or even advocate a dictatorship. In fact, do you know which country had the first democratically elected socialist? Mm, No. Who? Australia, 1904, our third Prime Minister, Chris Watson. Wow. The world's first democratically elected social democrat. You know, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders has spent this entire presidential campaign talking about democratic socialism. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, that was Chris Watson as well. And so Australia had uh, a a democratic socialist uh, as our third Prime Minister. And and just to add something to what you were saying, yeah, because you can't look at socialism and um, think it is a good dictator. That's just the way Stalin had it work out, worked out because he was paranoid. He wanted to be in charge and he was willing to do whatever. So that's the way it played out in Russia. But communism, excuse me, socialism on its own is nothing like that. That was just the way he, the course he took it on being who he was. Yeah, I mean, as we've mentioned briefly, uh, the... Um first post-revolutionary government in Russia after the February 1917 revolution, the interim government, was made up of some of the establishment uh, elite of Mm -hmm. Tsarist Russia, but also the Mensheviks, who were socialists, Marxists. They Mm -hmm. advocated for democratic, the democratic introduction of socialism into Russia, slowly working slowly with the nobility for the introduction of socialism over time in a democratic fashion. <clears throat> and they were they were Marxists. Eh? They were a Marxist yep. socialist party that wanted it introduced slowly uh, and because they knew that according to classic Marxism, Marx and Engels' writings, that Russia wasn't really ready for yeah. socialism. It had to go through a capitalist period first before it would be ready for socialism, which is a more advanced form of socio-economic cooperation. But the Bolsheviks, led by Lenin, didn't agree with that. They wanted to rush Russia uh, into socialism, and Mm -hmm. they figured they could do that at the front end of a gun. They did. Um, So back to capitalism versus socialism. Um, What is socialism, Ray? How would you describe socialism? I would would describe it as um, the state... Seems to have a lot more power. There's a, um, I guess the goal is for people, literally people to be treated more equally um, by the government. The government is certainly, it seems to be in control of more things within the country. Uh, I'm not going to even pretend to, uh, to be an expert on that, but I do know that is more politically to the left 
where the government is seen as, as someone who can contribute to someone's life and is not, as we do in the United States, see government as almost evil and we try to minimize it wherever it's at. But it was certainly left-leaning from where we're at now, and it was more like a st- – I guess – and I guess the people would be the ones in charge, even though you have to have a person in charge just like you do anywhere else. It's more of the people being in charge, or at least the idea of people being in charge. Mm. <clears throat> you know, basically, I would say that socialism, I mean, and there are lots of, I mean, socialism isn't one thing. It's not even one body of theory. It's very old. It's very complex. There's lots of different views on it. But essentially, it rotates around the idea that in an evolved society, everyone should have their basic economic needs taken care of. That's crazy. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you look for a formal definition of it, it's an economic theory that believes that the means of making, moving, and trading wealth should be owned or controlled by the community as a whole, not by private individuals or corporations mm. owned by private individuals. And, you know, you referred to it as the state or the government. Yes, that the state or the government is the representative body of the community as a whole that owns everything. The right. state, the, will the, people, the people. Yeah, right. the, the people own everything communally, which is obviously where the term communism comes from. But so this, this idea that everyone should have their basic economic needs taken care of, what's so horrible about that idea that it needs to be brutally repressed? Well, if I'm someone who has more than average people and you need to, everybody to have their basic needs met, then it sounds like you're going to have to take from me to give to them. Yeah. As you said before, if, if, if you're doing really, really well, if you're the 1% under capitalism... Yeah. which is most politicians, it's most uh, business owners, business right. leaders or inheritors of uh, wealth. Influential, yeah. You don't want things to change. You want to maintain the status quo and you are going to do everything in your power to prevent people from even thinking about changing the system, let alone it changing. And that power so, is considerable because of your wealth and influence. Now, socialism, as I said, or communism, has been around pretty much since the beginning of human communities, going back to very early tribal communities. They probably had a form of primitive communism, as Marx and Engels called it. Uh, you think about it, in, in primitive tribal societies, all able-bodied people would have been engaged from dawn to dusk in obtaining food Everyone would have shared in what was produced from hunting or gathering. If you went and you mm -hmm. killed an antelope, you'd come back and you'd share it with the rest of the tribe. There was a, a basic division of labor. The women would be looking after the children and gathering uh, berries and, and, you know, husking corn. Berries. The men would be out chasing down antelopes. They'd come back. It was, you know, the, the food was gathered together. It was shared. The kids were reared um, because they didn't really understand. Everyone was fucking everyone, and they didn't really understand about DNA. So kids were lot. reared communally. It, they were communist societies. Um, right. There wasn't any private property. Uh, everyone shared everything that was required, because what was important was the success of the tribe. If the mm -hmm. tribe was successful, everyone in it uh, you know, would survive another winter. Right. Um, there was no excess or surplus food 
or, or, or wealth, everything was consumed. But, you know, over time, this probably changed uh, and people started to develop early uh, armies, uh, you know, certainly when agriculture, from the books that I've read, like Guns, Germs and Steel by Jared Diamond, the idea is that when humans developed agriculture, all of a sudden you didn't need everyone to go out there hunting all day. A couple of people could run the farm and then there was uh, leftover labour and those right. people could go out and form small militias and conquer other nearby villages and tribes and take their shit and that's when they started to think about, well, hold on, this is my shit. I got this. I, this is my this is my trophy. I want to keep that. Oh, who, who am I going to pass it on to when I die? Yeah. Well, how do I know which kid is my kid? Oh, well, this woman, she belongs to me now. Um, she has to be a virgin when I buy her right. from her father, and then totally. I'm the only one who's allowed to fuck her. So then I know that her kids are my kids, and I can pass my trophies onto them when I die. Now, this was also, this is interesting. Communism oh, was also. Oh, real quick, that's the yeah. exact speech I gave Heather's father. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had to put that in there. Sorry. It's my woman now. <laughs> sorry. And, and was she a virgin? Um, I, um, it felt mm-hmm. like it just because I, anyway, no, let's, let's move on. <laughs> Remember tripod. Um, early Christian communities were communist as well, it appears. So you would think mm. all Christians are supportive of communism in your mm-hmm. country. Right. Acts 2.44 says uh, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Mm. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Oh. This is Acts talking about the early Christian communities. So um, what up? Yeah. You yeah, know, conservative that. conservative Christian listeners, I guess. This is the- my shit. I'm not sharing minds. <laughs> Seriously, like how do you be a Christian and not support welfare and communism? This is well, we'll talk about how that happened later on. But Christianity was built on mm-hmm. communism. Yeah. So think about that. Send me emails. I know you will. Send me your hate mails and explain to me why Christianity doesn't support communism. Um, Now, modern socialism basically says we are all born with an equal right to the wealth of the country and the planet. We all Mm. are born equal. Isn't that in in your constitution? All men are created equal. Right. Yes. Yes. Now, the, the socialist interpretation of that sentiment is that we're all equal, therefore we all deserve an equal share of the bounty. Mm -hmm. And we all deserve an equal right to participate in determining how society is run. Now, your constitution says that, but in a world where there is a surplus of resources and wealth, no one should go hungry or go without basic needs. It's about distributing the wealth of a country in a way where everyone is taken care of. From a socialist perspective, it's unethical for one person to be starving while another person is a billionaire. And that's why we're not a socialist country. I will give those people what they need as soon as they can afford to buy it from me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, not only was communism the way early tribes operated and early uh, Christian communities operated, it's also the way that we uh, human society was organised in the 24th century. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. There you go. But pot's still legal, right? Please tell me pot's still legal. <laughs> What's that good to do with it? I because think... I don't need or want anything if I'm high as a kite. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. As Jean-Luc Picard laying down the uh, economics of the human race in the 24th Boom. century. Good for him. So, look, um, jump in here if you want to give me your thoughts on socialism or should I keep going? Uh, for now, please keep going. Okay, here's the simplistic way I think about it. And I know this is simplistic and I know it's far more complex than this, but, you know, we, we don't have 10 hours to cover this. Right. So bear with me, if you will. Um, take any society. Everyone in that society is doing their bit to keep it running. Now, you might think, well, what about the bludgers and the people that are sitting home just smoking weed and getting high? Okay, there is a very small percentage of people in any society that aren't functioning uh, pr productively. Sometimes that's their fault. Sometimes, and quite often, it's not. It's a result of the 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 environment they were raised in, and, mm -hmm. and you know the opportunities they or their parents or their grandparents or their great great grandparents yeah. didn't have, and it trickles down. But anyway. The vast majority of people are doing something, even from people collecting the garbage to people running corporations or and the prime minister or the president. Everyone is playing their part. Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden all of the people doing the menial labor, the garbage collectors, people pumping gas, uh, cleaners, street sweepers, people working in sanitation, people working on a farm, in a factory, right. building and maintaining roads, whatever. If they all disappeared overnight on a spaceship, how long do you think society would continue to function? About seven, seven and a half minutes. How long would corporations continue to make money if all of the, the, the working class, the proletariat, yeah. if you want to use Marxist, Marxist terms, disappeared? Everything would stop. It's actually yeah. the inverse. If anyone's read Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, basic plot of Atlas Shrugged is all of the entrepreneurs get up and leave America and go and live on an island. Spoiler mm -hmm. alert. If you haven't read uh -huh. the book, it was written in like 1956, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, great book. I Again, I know everyone thinks of me as a complete sort of lefty, but I love Ayn Rand. I've been reading her since I was in my early 20s. I read everything left, right, and middle that I can get my hands on. I love Ayn Rand. Um, I don't agree with it, as I said earlier, uh, yeah. all of it. I agree with some of it. I agree that entrepreneurs... I am an entrepreneur. I agree with the thing that entrepreneurs should be encouraged. Innovators, dreamers. We need mm -hmm. to find ways of encouraging those people. I, I, you know, I just want to see it done in a society that's moral and ethical and mm. that there are limits on the amount of wealth that entrepreneurs... And look, honestly, every survey or study I've ever read of entrepreneurs, money isn't the reason why entrepreneurs right. do stuff. They do stuff because they want to see what will happen. They, they, they invent things, they build businesses because they see a problem and they want to fix it, or because mm -hmm. they... 
they are just excited about doing stuff. Entrepreneur means opening up. They want to open up new avenues. New. It's not about money. If if you're an entrepreneur and you're building your business purely for money, then you're a fucking mentally deficient person. You've got problems. Go see. Right. Go, yeah. go go get therapy and see a psychiatrist. Right. Um, anyway. So this is the opposite of that. If all of the working class just disappeared, society would fall apart pretty quickly. Thoughts, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, they're the ones who actually, they're the ones producing, they're the ones selling, they're the ones shipping, they're the ones cleaning. So yeah, it all, it all comes down to them. You would think that if they could all get together and strike at one time and say, hey, let's come back, but I want you to quadruple my salary or whatever. I mean, People have to give in because they're the ones doing it. The president's not going to get down there and do that kind of thing. But uh, um, hopefully that will never happen. But see, here's my thing. I, And I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but everybody's born with a different talent, with a different ability. And so we all contribute in our own way. And some of us are going to – I think it's just you know natural selection. Some of us are just great athletes. Some of us are com- composers or, in, or musicians or whatever. Um, but, yeah, at the, very, at the very basic level, everybody should be treated decently. Everybody should have their minimum needs met. And it just bothers me that we can't have the best of, best of both worlds. Someone's got to be a billionaire or a billionaire. Someone's only going to make $20,000 a year. But at the very least, they should be treated differently and not looked down upon that's that's just all me and Bernie are looking for, but I don't think it will ever happen. <laughs> okay, then <laughs> who knows? But who knows? you know, we've got to fight the good fight. Yeah. What did Martin Luther King said something about the arc of history over time uh, bends towards justice, something like that. Mm. Now, think about. Let me let me take an example here when I talk about you know, entrepreneurs and the working class. Could Steve Jobs build Apple without all of the infrastructure being in place? If he had to spend his days in his early 20s when he was building Apple with uh, was growing his own food, making his own clothes, (laughs) building his own roads, uh, building his own car, his own house, making his own medicine, uh, teaching his children, educating his children, well, the ones that he acknowledged, cough, cough, right. Lisa. Um, if he if he had to do all of that, think Little House on the Prairie. If he had to run, what was his yeah. name in Little House on the Prairie? Fuck, oh, God. Uh, Laura Engel's dad. I, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I know you're talking, but I don't know the names. That okay. kind of a life. If, if you're in a society where you have to do everything yourself to, to keep yeah. the basic functions of life going, would he have had time to go out and, you know, invent yeah. the Macintosh? No, it's the all thing- about subsistence living, just getting from one day to the next. You, have, you don't got time to plan for the future. you got to take care of today right now. Yeah. So these great business leaders that we think of, you know, your Bill Gateses, your Steve Jobses, your Henry Fords, whoever it is, the your Elon Musks, they can't do what they do. And we think, well, they deserve to be rich because they, they worked harder or they're, they're smarter or they're geniuses, they invented this, whatever. They couldn't have done what they did unless, unless the rest of society was enabling them to do what they did. The rest of society has to go and do all that shit that I mentioned before, keep the wheels turning, mm-hmm. so those people, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates of the world, can come along and have the luxury right. to spend time building their businesses. 
So why shouldn't all of these people share relatively equally in the wealth that's created as a result? Society is an ecosystem is the way that I think of it. It's like, to take another example, it's like a large corporation. If all of the employees quit and walked out of, I don't know, pick a large, another large corporation. Uh, 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 what's one of the largest companies in the US? Uh, Walmart, I don't know. Okay, Walmart. Mm-hmm. If all of the employees quit and walked out, the CEO's job is worthless. Right. The, all of, the CEO and all of the top executives... Couldn't couldn't do any. They would have nothing to do apart from panic, and they couldn't make any money. They wouldn't make any money if all of the employees walked out. They make money. This is the, you know the basics of, of of Marx and Engels' work on communism. They make their money on the back of the labor of the working classes. So if that's true, should the CEO get paid two hundred times what the average employee is paid if if his or her salary is based on the effort of these employees? Is mm. the CEO two hundred times smarter? Do they work two hundred times harder or two hundred times longer? Why do they get paid two hundred times more than the average employee? Yeah. Trust me, I've I've met some of these people over the years. And you weren't impressed? I was not impressed. <laughs> some I was impressed. But you know, Bill Gates is a smart guy. No, no, you know, very, very smart guy. But yeah. um two hundred times smarter yeah. than other employees at Microsoft? No. Microsoft yeah, was that hard. Microsoft was full of really, really smart people. He might have been one and a half times smarter or twice as smart, but not two hundred times smarter. Um you know, you you might think, well, Steve Jobs deserved to be rich. He worked hard. He was a genius. He was a self-made man. But according to Steve Wozniak, right. when they asked uh, Steve Wozniak about Apple's success, he said, it was just an awful lot of luck. There's no other way to explain it. <laughs> Even Woz said, well, nah, we were just lucky, man. Yeah. You right know, time, right, right place. Yeah, Right time, right place. Think about it. If Steve Jobs had been born 10 years later than he was Ooh. born. Yeah. If he had been adopted by a different family or hadn't been adopted out when he was born, uh, if he'd been adopted by crack addicts, right, uh, would he have been able to build office? Now, here's the way I think you know salaries should be worked out. You should get a whole list of jobs, and then you should poll everybody and say, do you want to do this job? And if everyone says no, then the value of the salary goes up. Right. So take cleaning to- public toilets. Mm-hmm. Do you want to clean public toilets, Ray? Not as such. Me either. So yeah. the value of that job should go up. The yeah. less people who want to do it, the more the person who does it should get paid, right? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, if it's a job that everyone wants to do, the market should value that job lower. That's the free. That would be how the free market would work. Everyone wants to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's a no-brainer. It's an easy job, cushy office, lots of people around you to do the actual work. You right. get a nice car, hot secretary, male or female. I'm not saying that all CEOs are men. You can have not a hot male secretary for female. Exactly. Play some so golf. The, yeah. So the person cleaning the toilet should get paid 150 or 15 million dollars a year because that job sucks. <laughs> The person doing the easy cushy job should get paid twenty four thousand dollars a year. I think we're on to something here. I think we're on yeah, to something. Yeah. Yeah. Cam and Ray for president. That's a woo. 
just to go back to giving you another analogy for socialism, it's like my kids play soccer, right? Mm-hmm. Football, as they call it in the UK. Um, and, you know, early on when they were playing for a club, they were playing fullbacks. And they were like, oh, fullback sucks. You know, you don't get much of the ball. And right. all the glory is with the centre forward or, you know, the people playing up for, up front because they're the ones that get the ball a lot. They get right. to score goals. That's where the glory is. And I used to have to explain them, listen, every single player in the team is important. If, if you're not there defending the goals, then the other team's going to score goals. Yeah. And, you, you know, your centre forward won't be able to score goals because, you know, they're going to be up the back trying to stop goals being scored in their, in, in their goal in the first place. Everybody in the team is equally important. Okay, the centre forward might be the rock star because... He's scoring most of the goals, but it's a team effort. Everyone who plays a team sport understands that, unless you're a sociopath. Um, Everyone is important. Society is the same as team sports, kids. We all play an important role, except for Ray and I. (laughs) We're on the fringe. We're on the fringe. We're on the fringe of the fringe. Now... Okay, I know some people are listening to this going, well, look, socialism is a good theory, (laughs) but the problem is it doesn't take into account human nature. Right. It's the amount of times I've heard that over the last 20 years. Well, it's good in theory, but Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work in practice. That's one of the dumbest fucking things (laughs) I've ever heard. It's one of those... Ten no one second sound bites that people get and they go oh yeah that's oh, that's an easy way of not having right. that's a, yeah that's an easy way of not having to think about this anymore I just say that and you know it sounds complex and wise you know what here's why it's dumb it's that that is true of everything everything mm. is good in theory but hard to implement in practice because humans are messy and stupid and difficult right. I mean, yes, look, socialism's early experiments in the 20th century were hijacked by sociopaths and mm-hmm. a fucking mess in most places. You know, I've got, I, I, you know, I think Cuba is probably a bit different, but, you know, certainly if we look at the big ones, USSR and China, um, a lot of horrible things happened and they were run by sociopaths. Um, but here's the thing. Capitalism was run by sociopaths for a century. Mm-hmm. A lot of horrible things happened under socialism. Sorry, under capitalism. Right. From from the time of the Industrial Revolution through to sort of the mid-20th century. Uh, only with a lot of work, mostly by socialists and communists, did some of the egregious examples of capitalist immorality get... I don't know, crushed yeah. and and and, right. and they pass laws to protect children. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so people don't think about that. It took <clears throat> capitalism, you know, took 150 years, and it still has a lot of problems. But you know, it took us 150 years of playing around with capitalism before we started to rein in some of the excesses. Um, there's a text that's used in British literature classes. Um, I can't remember what it's called right now, but I got this quote from it. It says, it's talking about the Industrial Revolution of Britain. 
says, for the great majority of the labouring class, the results of the policy of laissez-faire were inadequate wages, long hours of work under mm-hmm. sordid conditions, and the large-scale employment of women and children for tasks which destroy body and soul. Mm. Reports from investigating committees on coal mines found male and female children, 10 or even 5 years of age, harnessed to heavy coal sledges, which they dragged crawling on their hands and knees. Because there's no law to say you can't do that, so the people of means or the desperate parents who need money have them in that situation. Fucked up. So, capitalism is great in theory. (laughs) On paper. But in practice, it results in abuses. Not to mention, Americans, hello, your entire economy was built on the back of slavery. Ooh, we're going to have to ask you not to mention that again. And the destruction of the Native American tribes and stealing their land. You know, writing treaties with them. All right, look. You can go over here. We're not going to go. We don't want that land. We don't need that land. We're happy. We've got our land here. And then a year later going, actually, we fucking want that land now. But what about the treaty? What what treaty? Sorry, you don't even speak English. Fuck off. Piece of paper. Here, have a blanket with some fucking disease on it. Was it smallpox? Yeah, I think so. I think it was, yeah. So that was capitalism for 150 years, like from the Industrial Revolution in the late 18th century through till, you know, the New yeah. Deal in yeah. many ways. You know, this this was capitalism, yet we turn a block, we go, well, you know, yeah, it was messy and it took time to work out. But when socialism and communism comes along in the early 20th century and it has 50, 60 years of fucking messy shit and evil sort of shit because it's run by sociopaths, we go, well, it doesn't work, obviously. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's never think about that again. Tried it, failed. You know, that's it. Forget about it. We'll, you know, we'll just stick with capitalism. Thanks very much. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, the blinders on people, uh, it's staggering. And that's, again, like you said when you were um, you were talking to somebody on Facebook, humans haven't changed all that much since Alexander. And it's just true. You know, it's absolutely true. People have not changed or out for themselves. And when people don't want to hear something or don't want to believe something, no matter what you say, you will not change their mind. That's the way it is. So let's talk about capitalism. Okay. Capitalism, like socialism, isn't really a consolidated theory as such. It's got some central ideas and a lot of theoretical work that's been done on it over hundreds of years. You know, basically, how would you describe capitalism, Ray? Capitalism. Um, Everybody out for the fucking selves. Um, The the less government, the better. The strongest survive and just on an economic level. I don't know. It it just seems like it's greed. Greed is good, if I can quote Gecko. Um, I don't know. It's, It's just basically... Balls to the wall, greed, do whatever it takes to survive, and the strongest get everything and everyone else suffers, and that's the way it is. You have a university degree, right? That's the best you can do. You're university educated. Is this <laughs> is this an example of the quality of university education in the United States? Something greed. like that. Uh, I don't know, greed is good. Really? I was that's quoting it? Gordon Gecko from that movie... Whatever. Wall Street. You're actually Wall quoting yeah, Oliver Stone, yeah. but yes, okay. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, it's not very well known, but that that movie wasn't designed to be a blueprint for how to run an economy. It's not. It was, it was designed to be satirical and oh, a criticism. Shit. But I think a lot of people, including myself in my twenties, I was a big fan of that movie, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, go on, Gecko man." <laughs> When I was a nice little righty. Um, oh all right. Well, listen. Okay. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of what you said that's probably right. Basically, I would say capitalism at its core is the idea that the people with the money, the capital, should have the right of private ownership of the means of production mm-hmm. and that there should be free markets. Mm. Although for most of history there hasn't been free markets and that's going to be an important part of the Cold War discussion. We'll we'll get to that in uh, later episodes. But that's essentially the people who have the money should be able to control and profit from what they build and sell and they should be able to sell it. Right. According to Marx and Engels, capitalism concentrates the means of production and therefore the wealth into the hands of the few. And everyone else then needs to sell their labour to the capitalists in order to earn a wage. So you end mm-hmm. up selling your the, the sweat off your back to the people with the money and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the opportunity to create wealth is concentrated into the hands of the elite. You know, it's been around forever in some form or another, but again, in agrarian and feudal societies where people had to work hard just to provide the basic goods for survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was relatively modest. We, we start to see it emerge in a strong way sort of during, you know, the, the, the era of, um, well, the, the sort of post-Crusade era in Italy with the guilds, the workers' guilds in Florence, places like uh-huh. that. Right. Around sort of the 14th, 15th century, the rise of the Medicis, the rise of sort of this elite class of uh, guilders, you know, artisans, uh, <clears throat> lawyers, uh, accountants, uh, Jews. A lot of Yeah. Yeah, and Jews. I mean, and, um, oh, he said Jews. Oh, <laughs> oh. No. But seriously, and I, I think I've mentioned this somewhere before on one of our shows, but... Um, the same Napoleonic event in Corsica where I met Chrissy in uh, 2008, <clears throat> there was a number of 85-year-old uh, Israeli historians at my table, and um, I said to them, explain anti-Semitism to me, because I don't understand it, the history of anti-Semitism. Right. And it, it was great. I got their view on anti-Semitism. And, you know, basically they were saying, well, you know, after uh, Pompey, and uh, the successes in you know, 70 CE crushed or destroyed the temple and crushed Judaism. <clears throat> in Jerusalem, they scattered, the dis- diaspora scattered around the world and you know, set up shop in other places. But um, you know, primarily because of Judaism's b- religious beliefs, well, we're the chosen people. Uh, they didn't say this bit. This is my... Uh, they said, well, we're the chosen of God. We've got our own God. Fuck your gods. We've got the one true God, and we only marry each other, and we keep it all in the faith. They weren't very well liked, um, no. even even pre Christianity, and then post Christianity, the Christians were like, "Oh, you killed Jesus! Fuck you!" Right. So the Jews were hated pretty much everywhere, and as a consequence, they weren't allowed to own land. 
mm-hmm. which was the primary way of supporting yourself. So they were forced to become white-collar workers. Yeah, uh, well, uh, yeah they were mostly white-collar workers. They became the lawyers. They became the money lenders. They became the bookkeepers, etc. Et and then, of course, at some point, particularly sort of around the, the 14th, 15th century, um, this is like um, Shakespeare's uh, Merchant of Venice, uh, you know, they become wealthy, they become powerful as a result of this role, and then people hate them all over again. Oh, right. look at the fucking Jews, now they control everything. You know, they've right. got money, and, and they're able to control this yeah. and that and the other. <clears throat> that leads directly to the anti-Semitism in Germany in the early 20th century, etc., etc. Anyway, how did I get into that? Oh, yeah, the rise of capitalism. Right, 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 right. So, <clears throat> the Jews. Now... It's all the Jews, man. No, no I'm kidding. Um, yeah. But then it really blew up, obviously, during uh, the Industrial Revolution out of England when modern manufacturing techniques enabled you to produce a massive surplus for the first time. These weaving machines could weave more wool and more garments mm-hmm. in a month than, uh, than a million humans. So all of a sudden, the, these new techniques enabled the entrepreneurs, the capitalists, to manufacture and sell and export massive quantities of of uh, stuff. By the way, we should also talk about the, the British East India Company and their takeover of the United States, but have I ever touched on that before? I don't think so. Ah, oh, shit. This is going to go down a rabbit hole and we're already in an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's... <clears throat> here's, okay, I'm going to try and compress this into a couple of minutes. The, the, the world's first... What was the world's first corporation? Mm-hmm. The Dutch East India Company. Gotcha. The world's second corporation was the British East India Company. Um, it was stock control. The Crown owned a lot of it, but so did a lot of uh, other rich guys in England. Came out of sort of I think the 16th century, maybe. Uh, it was it was basically responsible for British trade around the world, the spice trade, all of that kind of stuff. Basically ran. A lot of uh, Britain's colonies around the world, trading bases mm-hmm. that it set up. <clears throat> but then it became incredibly, British East India Company became incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful. And then, sort of in the mid 18th century, um, the King of England said, you know what? Fuck these guys. They've become too powerful, the British East India Company. This is sort of around 1760, 1770, 1780. Fuck these guys. They've become way too powerful. The Crown is going to take control of the British East India Company. Remember, it was a corporation run by directors before that. The Crown is going to take control over it, its wealth, its fleet, the bases. It's going to become state-controlled, Crown-controlled, really. So the British East India Company said, well, fuck you, and um, <laughs> around about the same time, in 1773, in Boston, there's this issue about uh, British East India Company ships arriving with cheap tea. It's going to drive the Dutch tea importers mm-hmm. out of business, so the Sons of Liberty uh, get on board the, the East India Company ships and throw their tea into the ocean. And then there's this, it leads to this uh, revel, the American, you know, revolution. And all of a sudden, the British 
Crown loses its newest and most exciting colony, uh, ah. the Americas, and uh, it becomes the land of the corporation. Now, the American flag that Betsy, was it Betsy Ross? Betsy Who, Ross, no. baby, and her rocking chair. Betsy Ross, the American flag. When you have a few minutes, jump on the, in, on the internets, look up the flag of the British East Indian Company. Uh-oh. It is the American flag without the stars. <laughs> Instead of the stars in the corner, it's got the St. George Cross. What? Yeah, this has been fa- right, fascinated me. This has fascinated me for 10 years. They, they, they need a flag. They, they call it what, the Grand Union flag, I think, originally. Right. So the story, the official fucking story is they quickly needed a flag to represent the American colonies. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, let's, we need any, got any flags lying around? Let's get, the, let's get the flag of the British East India Company that is our sworn fucking enemy, supposedly, right. and yeah. raise that and make that the Grand Union flag. That was a fashion decision that I support. So, so here's the thing. The world's second ever corporation, just as the crown is starting to take control of it, directly leads to the American Revolution, which ends up using the fucking corporation's flag and becomes Whoa. the land of the corporation. I thought you were going to say the land of the free, but good point. Which leads right up until, uh, what was the court case a few years ago? The fucking one that gave corporations the rights to... Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever the fuck that was. Corporations Citizens United. Here's my question. Can you can you hold the door open for a corporation? <laughs> Probably. <No>. Yeah. <laughs> so, fuck, I can press that down. People are going to think that's a crazy conspiracy theory. Trust me, look it up and tell me where I'm wrong because I have right. spent an insane amount of time <laughs> trying to trying to find out. Like, uh, surely there's a, a there's a rational explanation for why the fucking British East India Company flag ended up as the American flag. No, nothing. I can find nothing on it. Nothing. Right. Da Vinci no Code. one. No know. one talks about it. Apart from that. Oh well, Betsy Ross was like, well, I need a flag and. Uh, I, I'm too lazy to design yeah. one. I'll Copy just use one. I'll just use this one. What the fuck? <laughs> hey, here's another well, interesting were, story. Hello, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. They don't need they don't need it. Here's another <laughs> interesting story. The um, Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. Watch yourself. American children say every morning. Right. You're uh-huh. looking at the. Fl- they don't. No. When did that stop? I remember doing it in elementary school. I don't know. It's been out for a while. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I, well, I, I the, pledge, didn't, didn't do it in school. Uh-huh. the whole Pledge of Allegiance, do you know where it comes from? No. From a Klingon play? No, I don't know. Where do you think it started? Who started it? When? How far back does it go? Et cetera, et cetera. Something to do with England? You do have a degree in history, right? Just, I just want yeah. to check on that. Yeah. Man. You yeah. didn't get it I out focused of a on box World of War cornfla- II. Cornflakes? All oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Where did it come from? Listeners playing at home, try and answer this question. I'll give you 10 seconds. Where, don't look it up on the internet. Where did the Pledge of Allegiance originate? How old is it? Where did it come from? Your time starts now. Do, 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 do,
I only discovered this recently and, and it blew my fucking mind. I told Chrissy and it blew her mind as well. It was adopted by Congress in 1942. It was written by a guy called Francis Bellamy in the late 19th century, 1892, something like that. He was um, a Christian socialist and working for a magazine called America's Youth Companion or something. No, the Youth's Companion, that was it. It was like a, a, a children's magazine. And uh, they wanted to make the kids more patriotic. So uh, there had been a form of a pledge. It was a lot shorter. Uh, he thought it sucked. I think it was a relative of his that had written the original one. He didn't like it. So he wrote the Pledge of Allegiance pretty much as it is today, except God was added later on. But it was it, its first appearance was in a kids' magazine, uh, and they were trying to get kids to swear allegiance to the flag. It was like a Hitler Youth movement in the United States in the 19th century, and it wasn't adopted uh, until by Congress until the you know the early 40s, 1942. So uh, there you go. It was designed to get flags into into classrooms. It was designed to. Uh, to brainwash the children of America. Everyone picked it up and ran with it, and now, you know, to the best of my knowledge, it's still an American institution. You would think it goes back to, like, the Founding Fathers. It was Part B of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. That's fucking... If anything sums up America to me, it's that story and Donald Trump winning the Republican that primary nomination. Yeah. Anyway, capitalism. Oh, we're over an hour. Uh, okay. We're going to have to leave it for the next episode. <laughs> Let me read another review before we go. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Tim Henning. Timbo. Tim, Tim. <laughs> Another great podcast by Ray and Cam. Duck and cover. That's what they taught us in sixth grade. Ray and Cam are back at it again with the Cold War podcast. Turn out the lights, block out the windows, and build a bomb shelter as you'll be hearing the truth, the hidden facts, and the other side of the story in only the way that Ray and Cam can deliver it. They say that history repeats itself, and I'm not sure that the Cold War really ever ended or just went doormat, but just like herpes, it's back! Timely, relevant, factual, <laughs> educational, funny, entertaining, and without a filter. Here's another great podcast from the two best podcasters in the world. Great job. Again, Rain Cam, Tim Bo mm, thank Henning. You, Tim. Tim, if you want me to send you a thank you gift, uh, I know your multiple addresses because we've sent you gifts before, or just pick it up when you come to visit uh, in the near future. He's coming over mm -hmm. with his wife, I think, hopefully. There you go. Top bloke, yeah. Tim. We love Tim. Tim looked after us, did a great job looking after us in Vegas. Top yes. bloke. And a big supporter of us outside of that too, yeah. Thank you. All right, Thank that's God the end did. of episode, I think, Absolutely. seven. <sighs> Shit. We'll be back <laughs> soon with episode eight. Don't go on <laughs> capitalism next time. Don't go away. <laughs> Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. <laughs>